You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 180 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday evening, and that means it's time for a new podcast. And joining me today is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? What's going on? I think it, at this point in some cultures, we'd be married based on the number of times I've been on the podcast. Uh, that is true, and uh, I think I think you are probably catching up to me in terms of just overall airtime on this podcast feed, since you are on Road to Atlanta every week, and I am not on that podcast ever. I do have a lot more hours. I was about to say, I have, a, I have a ways to catch up. But with you're, you, you're catching sure. up because I'm not on that. I'm not. Gonna, I can't imagine being on that podcast really ever because I am not qualified to be on the Road to Atlanta podcast. So you, eventually, you're going to catch me. But I yeah, appreciate I'm, you coming. I'm, 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 I'm going to. I know who the next guest is going to be. Everybody, brace yourselves. Brad, Brad Roland comes on to talk prospects that he's seen twice in his life. Brad Roland AMA. Oh, God, that would not be a good idea. Um, Anyway, uh, we are going to save the hot take topic of Sunday afternoon until later in the podcast. So I promise we did not forget about Ronald Acuna and Brian Snicker and decisions and takes and all that stuff. It's coming later, but out of respect, we're going to save that for later because I was not I was tweeting about this before it happened. Well, actually, after it happened, I guess uh, that I did not I was not terribly excited to talk about that. We will because we have to. And I feel like that's it's an interesting topic in some ways, but we'll come back to that later. First and foremost, though, uh, other than it being a good weekend, winning two out of three games, we're going to touch, we'll touch on touch on the news right quick because there was a lot of news. Most of it had to do with injuries and shuffling around and roster moves and all kinds of things. I guess you know, as of Friday morning, the big news was the Braves signing a Danny Echeverria and then sending Adam Duvall and Yohan Camargo down. And then after Friday night, then the biggest news was Ender Enciarte being out for a while. Um, so we'll start there, I suppose, and it's kind of all put together anyway. Ender, uh, hamstring injury, uh, he sort of heroically still scored on the play when he pulled when he pulled up lame between third base and home plate. But uh, hamstring, I guess he was uh, diagnosed with a grade two sprain of the hamstring, which which carries a estimated four to six weeks on the injured list. That places his return maybe late September, so not exactly ideal for someone who had been very good recently. You know, as much as I criticize Ender, or at least I'm skeptical of his bat, he had been really raking for about 20 games or so, um, so credit to him for playing really well, and obviously his defense is um, an upgrade on most of the options that the Braves have, and if not all the options the Braves have in center field, so kind of a brutal loss there, so I guess the question is, Eric, like, what's the big takeaway from Ender being injured, them signing Hetcheveria, um, Duvall is back now, but those guys went down briefly, and then we'll sort of transition from that into updates on uh, Riley and Swanson. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough just because of how tenuous the roster got so quickly. From, like, the time Marcakis got hurt, and then it was Riley, and then it was Swanson, and then it was, you know, like, it just seemed like one after the other. And the Braves had this really deep roster where they could kind of play matchups, and if the guys weren't performing well, you could, you know, slide other guys in. Now you have to give in a lot of ma- uh, playing time to Matt Joyce and Culberson, and you were having to give a lot of time to Camargo, and that wasn't really working out. It just felt like the... All the games became much more tenuous because you're just getting a lot of these. Ultimately, with these are our bench players having to perform in big situations and perform on a day-to-day basis, and that's just you know it's not what the Culpersons and the Camargos and you know guys like that are really built for. And it you know it it stifles Riley. You have to hope you were kind of having to hope that he was going to get back on track too, and he got hurt. In terms of Ender, I mean his center field defense is really beyond reproach. I think he's lost a step out there, but he's not, yes. he's still, he's still really good. Agreed. And, and it just makes the whole outfield better when you have, you know, Ronnie in a corner and then you can, you know, instead of having two guys in corners that, you know, don't necessarily see a lot of time out there. Um, it, it's the, the team is worse without right now without Ender on it. 
And the Braves are pretty fortunate because I was becoming livid with the shortstop play. Uh, of love, like, like, it, like everyone was to be fair, that and that's why, like, you know, if you had told me a month ago that the Braves were going to sign Hetrivaria and there was going to be near unanimous approval of that move, I would have laughed in your face. Um, but then it happened, and pretty much everybody liked that move. I wasn't necessarily over the moon about it because I don't think he's necessarily that good, but defensively, it was a clear upgrade on what the Braves have been getting for the last couple of weeks because it was it was pretty brutal to watch, honestly, night in night out. I mean, I, a lot of these, a lot of these. Uh like these losses on the bullpen, I honestly think that the Braves would have an eight or nine game in the lead in the division right now, if not for the shortstop play. Because there's like multiple like plays in ninth in, or eighth or ninth innings where the Braves had leads and there was a, a, a grounder to short and it either got under Coberson's glove or Camargo lays it in the center field or he can't even turn a double play or there, there so many things went wrong in that position. And part of it's just from familiarity of the position and part of it's just, you know, guys just not getting the job done and just not being good enough on a number of levels. So getting a guy like Echeverria, I, I tend to agree. He's not like this all world defender. He's not like the, he's not like a, a Yanish or like, you know, like all he can do is defend, but he's really good at it. But he, he's a, a very solid defender. Those, those routine to like above average plays, those are plays that he will make. I don't think he's going to be, you know, like challenging Anderson Simmons for highlight reels or anything like that, but he'll, he'll get the job done. Looked good, to, looked good this weekend, coming right back and seemed to be performing well, both at the plate and at short. It was a good, it was a good signing, but it wasn't something that something that made me go, oh, wow, we're World Series favorites right now. It just made me feel like the Braves understand what the situation they're in and are still and are willing to make upgrades where they can. Yeah, um, the, the, the plate, by the way, before we get away from the Hetcheveria, um, that isn't going to continue, most likely. Um, his career, no. the, his career WRC Plus, um, even, I think, is 72. Yeah, 72, which um, that's more than 3,000 plate appearances. So we kind of know that he's not a good hitter. He had one season where he was almost league average in Miami. And when combined with his elite defense that year, he uh, got up to near three wins. But basically ever since then, he's been in the 70s, 80s, 60s, and WRC+. He's he's a bad hitter. Um, in you know He's 30 years old, so probably not, not going to change. It might change in a small sample size, I suppose. And uh, right now, it's been a little bit better since he, since he came to the Braves. But all that, all that said, that was a move pretty much strictly for defense. Um, Hetcheveria, you do not want to see at the plate. Uh, I know it's worked out okay, and for some reason he had a, he, he was batting ahead of Matt Joyce in the, in the order um, over the weekend, which yeah, I, I don't no, care about that necessarily, but man, that was weird because uh, he's a bad hitter, and Matt Joyce is not a bad hitter. Um, but alas, Hetcheveria, that was a clear move to just stabilize because I think the Braves had the same thing we did. Like, we can't let this happen anymore. We have to put someone that can play defense at shortstop, and he'll be there. I'm not sure how long he'll be on this team. I guess through September now, because obviously the rosters expand, and if Dansby comes back, I'm not sure Hecheria is going to be on the playoff roster because I'm not sure why he would be, if that makes sense. Like, maybe you disagree, but if Dansby is healthy, that's a big caveat. If Dansby is healthy, I don't think they can necessarily carry Hetcheveria on the playoff roster. I know we're looking way ahead there, but because he can't hit and he's, you know, he's his biggest value is shortstop defense. If you have your shortstop on the roster, there are, there are better options. Even even with the struggles of guys that we've talked about ad nauseum that we'll talk about more in a second, Hetcheveria may not be long for the roster, but he's right right now he's there to get the Braves through the next couple of weeks, which is okay. Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, I think the biggest thing I, I did think it was kind of funny that like I'm pretty sure Adam Duvall didn't even get all the way down 285. Uh, it was by the quick. Time, yeah, because he had to turn right back around and get right because he was he gets sent back down because he still had options. Uh, they left Ortega back up, which uh, again is a little strange. It works out great, obviously. I mean, he, he hits the grand slam today to win the thing, but it's you know it's it was just kind of funny that. That that particular quirk that Ortega, who's probably a worse player, I say probably he's a worse player he's than worse Duvall. Player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's that that Duvall gets sent down, but it's good that the Braves have a guy like Duvall right now. I mean, and, or, and Ortega for that matter, because you know, if you have guys who can at least do something at down at AAA, when you get in situations like this where the injury bug bites you, you know, it turns out okay. I am pretty happy that Camargo has gone back down to Gwinnett because one of two things happens either he you know finds himself at the plate and in the field again and we kind of get that Camargo that we really liked where he's a guy that kind of moves all over the field and can you know can contribute at the plate from both sides but the Camargo that we were getting 
in all aspects of his game was slow. Now, I don't know if it's effort. I don't know if it's injury. I don't know if it's conditioning. But everything about him was just slow, and the game was too fast for him. You know, he wasn't – He was just, it just felt like it, all, all of his reflexes were, 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 were too slow. He was late on pitches. He was late on jumps on getting the balls. And it just felt like I was watching a player in slow motion. And yeah, I don't know exactly is, what that was. Yeah, this is the first season of his career. It's a smaller sample relatively but the first season first season in his career when he was um, graded out as a negative defender by basically all the metrics and when combined with his 53 yes 53 wrc plus um that's a player that kills you i mean he has a negative war for the season it's not breaking ground to say how bad he's been you know it's been shocking even as someone who you know on this podcast we were kind of famously a little bit skeptical of camargo and not ready to hand him the reins at third base etc i never thought he'd be this bad uh even someone who was skeptical of him so uh I you know I think it's a good idea to see what you have in him still. You can't just give up on him as a player um, altogether because I think you know he's still 25 years old. The pedigree was one of the reasons I was a little bit concerned about him earlier when he had the he had the breakout last year that I wasn't necessarily sold on it. But I think he, the truth is somewhere in the middle. That's not really a hot take to say between last year's highs and this year's lows. It's just kind of figuring out where he is and right now. He's the one guy that we're going to probably talk about a little bit here that is healthy and not on the roster, and that makes sense because he just needs to play. And if he can't figure it out in Gwinnett, um, you know, then he can't be around. And honestly, I'm not sure what he can do between now and October to just like sell himself this season. Maybe he gets hot and tur- and turns it around a little bit. But Camargo is where he needs to be. Like you know, as weird as this is to say, Ortega, for instance, has more value on the re- on the major league roster right now in the next couple of weeks than Camargo did, just because you know. There's some safety in what in what he's able to do in the outfield and just kind of be a competent outfielder that can maybe hit a little bit. And, you know, Camargo, with what he was doing, was kind of killing you. So I get it. And Duvall was the pretty clear option. I will cop to the fact that I was a little bit surprised, as you referenced, that Duvall went down originally. But it did make sense after I thought about it a little bit and people sort of put this in my ear that Ortega had, uh, Ortega had no options and Duvall uh, obviously did, had already used his. So that made more sense. And, you know, I, I'm not sure they were planning on having Duvall back the next day. Uh, in fact, I know they weren't, but it worked out okay. Um, before we get into a little bit of the positive injury stuff, next couple of weeks until Riley and Swanson or I guess one of the other or both come back here's what you have in terms of options this is what they've been doing over the weekend uh, in the outfield in the corner outfield spot you obviously have um you have Ronnie in center for right now because he's the only option you basically have then you have Joyce Duvall Ortega and Culberson so those four guys for two spots every single day and then at shortstop I assume it's going to be Hatcheria most days if not all days and then behind him you have Culberson and that's kind of your option so I mean Against right-handed pitching, Matt Joyce has to play every single day, I would imagine. And against left-handed pitching, Duvall has to play. And the other spot is just kind of up for debate between Ortega and Culberson and whatever whatever else you want to do. Is that, say, does this, does that seem about right to you until uh, somebody comes up that might be better? Yeah, it sounds about right. I think some of it's just going to be like when games are played, how the games the night before, and you know how off days fall. It's re- This is a team that's it's kind of fortunate that given that they have some limited options – and some of their options are significantly better than their secondary options, that there's a day off tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that does help uh, a little bit. You know, because, you know, Culberson, like, when he was getting regular playing time, he wasn't really hitting either. And, you know, obviously with, Camar- with Camargo not around, you know, you, you just you kind of want to give – I mean, Echeverria hasn't played in a little while, so he's not a guy that's going to be necessarily gassed. But it's kind of, you know, making sure everyone gets these next couple weeks, everyone comes out healthy and happy. Uh, that, that's kind of my only goal because the, the, I've been saying this for a while. I don't – I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for any team to catch the Braves in the division just because even with the, the injuries that the one through four, one through five that the Braves like can consistently put out there, like that offense is going to be very hard to like put up a losing, a losing streak that would let other teams catch up. And, you know, between that and like your starting pitching seems to be coming around. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like put any jinx on us that I feel like the bullpen's coming around. <laughs> they looked good the last couple games. It was good also- the last two days, uh, last, I guess, couple, couple of games. It's, uh, yeah, it feels a little bit better. It feels like guys are rounding into form, um, which we can talk, we can talk about a little bit more, um, in a second. Oh, I have to ask you one thing because you are, uh, you are the guru of prospects on, on this podcast. What do you think about West Parsons being DFA'd? That was a that was a move that got kind of lost because there was a lot going on. Do you have any any reaction to West Parsons no longer being a member of the roster? It's kind of a bummer just because he was such a great story to like go like become like an like an undrafted guy who was like 
taken out of an independent Woodbat league and then like you know turns into an actual prospect, goes through a bunch of injuries, comes back and finds his way to get to the major leagues. Uh, so from like a perspective of you know I really was kind of rooting for the guy and to be a, a valuable piece in the bullpen, but th- the Braves just have so many guys that like their bodies in you know and and very few different difference makers. I mean like AJ Minter is sitting in, in Gwinnett right now and he was going to be like the closer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he hasn't been particularly good in Gwinnett. I mean, he either. he was the closer for like a wide a wide swath of last well, season. Like yeah, he, he's supposed to be the guy. Yeah. And it just hasn't and it hasn't happened. No. And I mean like what happened I mean, like an, like another guy who has kind of gotten lost is Tuki Toussaint. Yep. He is he you know we we, we my, talk about my guy. We, my guy Tuki yeah. is uh nowhere to be found right now basically. He, he's he's in Gwinnett and he's he is throwing. And but when you when you have there's not spots for Kyle Wright right now who's on, taking up a forty man roster there's not spots for a lot of guys who like have forty man spots you know I mean Chad Sabatka's not dead you know it's just kind of one of those things where Parsons wasn't probably as good as several of those guys and how much of an opportunity was he really going to get you know the one thing that he had going for him was that he was a starter for a long time so he could pitch in long stints but it seems like Josh Tomlin and then some combination of you know. Bryce Wilson and whoever whoever's kind of getting that spot on any given on any given week when from via the Gwinnett shuffle, you know it's how how, how many opportunities was he ever going to get? And very the, few, the, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's just the roster is tough right now, especially when you have some guys on the forty man who can't or haven't been able to contribute, but you don't necessarily want to just take them off the 40 man. Yeah, clearly not. I mean, that's, it's a roster crunch thing. And I just want to at least reference, I think we'll probably be the only podcast that spends a lot of time on West Parsons this week. Um, but I feel like, you know, when guys get DFA'd, you should talk about them, especially when I have you on the podcast with me. Okay. Last thing before the break here, um, got some good news about Riley and Swanson this week. Uh, Riley, no surgery. That's a good thing. Um, it's probably gonna need a rehab stint, of course, after a, a little bit of an absence here. And then Swanson, um, there wasn't too much of an update, and then later in the week he was seen jogging, and Mark Bowman reported, at least that I saw this, maybe you saw some more stuff that I didn't see, that Swanson and Riley could both be activated by the end of August. That is uh, less than two weeks from now, basically. Um, that would be a good thing, because, you know, for better or worse, Riley, of course, had some well-documented struggles, but Swanson, they desperately need back, and Riley still has more upside than pretty much anyone they have in the corner, other than Ronnie, of course. Um, so what do you make of the, uh, I-, I think, optimistic updates that uh, happened midweek this week? Well, they were definitely optimistic. I-, I felt pretty good about Riley simply because all the updates we had been getting were that, you know, like, one, he hasn't, he hasn't had surgery, and two, even before they, like, they did the scans and did the secondary test to see, you know, how bad the tear was and all that, it, like, you know, Austin was like, you know, I'm feeling much better today, and, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, he, he was walking around. You know, it's not like he was having to, you know, wrap his knee and, you know, like, you know, hobble around to get around. I felt like that he had a really good shot to come back before the end of the season. I didn't realize it was going to be that quick. But, you know, in terms of how guys heal and things like that, it's all different. And in his case, it looks like he's going to be able to pop back. Um, in Dansby's case, it was interesting. I actually covered the the first game, the first game in the Met series. And I happened to, when I was in the press box, I happened to notice that Dansby was doing fungo work with a, with with wash in the field and you know that's just you know him you know basically down on his knee you know taking grounders and like you know short and intermediate you know level grounders right at him but that was the first time i had heard or seen him doing basically anything and you know i kind of asked for a little bit around about it and it seemed like that they were like yeah we're only doing things stationary with him right now and that was the game where all of a sudden we got a lot more updates as to you know people weren't sure what they you know they've had about what was going on with his recovery and we got a little bit more information um, but now that we have video of him kind of running around and moving around, it feels like, I feel like what happened and we just don't really know is like, you know, it was like kind of like a bone bruise in a bad spot. And a lot of times when it's, when it's your foot, I know that people, some people are, you know, are like, you know, he needs to, to tough it out or whatever. And, you know, there's certainly some whispers around out there that, you know, maybe he needs to work on his pain tolerance a bit because they shouldn't be out this long with this injury. But when it's your foot and it's the type of game that Dansby has, I get it. And, you know, he, you know, to be able to move the way he needs to move to play the way he needs to play, you know, it's stunk to have him out this long, but I'd rather him, you know, get healed up and then last the rest of the season than go back on the IL again when, you know, something's really bothering him or, you know, something gets tender or inflamed again. So we'll see. It was, uh, it was, I, I, I think that it might be the first week of September when he comes back. Because yeah. they'll like they'll, they'll try to give him as much of a you know a rehab stint in Grenada as possible just to make sure he's good to go, but 
there's a both good news because that means all of a sudden you get a, a, a high upside bat in, in the hopes that Riley's kind of figured out how to hit breaking balls. And then you have Swan, <laughs> and then you have Dansby who has put together a really, really good season this year and is the best defensive shortstop on the team by a mile. And that just makes a lot of your a lot a, your team significantly better in a lot of ways, particularly, you know, when you have a, a pitching staff that it seems to be built to putting balls in play. And so, yeah, it was, you know, it's good news. Having Dansby around definitely helps uh, everybody because, uh, of course, he has the best bat of anybody and the best glove. It makes position. the bench significantly better, too. Oh, yes. Uh, that would be very helpful. By the way, I'm looking ahead a little bit. The Braves play, I'm looking at it now, nine a nine-game homestand from August 30th through September the 8th. Um, seems like fertile ground for guys to make their returns when uh, they're at home and being worked on in the optimal way and rehabbing and just some comfort level stuff when that's up the road, all that fun stuff. So I would keep an eye on that stretch for both of these guys probably to come back and somewhere in yeah, there. It just seems like it makes sense to me given all, given the rehab op, the rehab stint options around and the fact that they're just in town for a week and a half. That usually sets up pretty well for guys to make their returns. Um, just guessing there a little bit, but alas. Okay, Eric, we're going to come back in just one moment, but uh, here's a word from our sponsors in the meantime. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, we're back. And uh, let's talk about some baseball. Because stuff happened. I like baseball. Other than uh, other than injuries and updates and all that stuff, did some stuff did happen this week? Uh, ended up going fairly well. Um, it felt like there were some lows this week, but big picture, they won four of six. They won both series at home against the Mets and the Dodgers. The Mets series was kind of what it was, and we'll talk about those games in a second. But the Dodgers, after losing the first game the way they did, it felt like that was uh, not going to go so well, given the fact that the Dodgers are very good. But coming back and winning Saturday and Sunday was. Um, very nice and very uplifting, especially with Sunday and all the uh, histrionics around Sunday. Let's start at the beginning, though. Tuesday um, and Wednesday, they got a couple of wins. Um, Ron Acuna was pretty good. We'll come back to him. Uh, the bullpen... Quite good. The bullpen struggled <laughs> early in the week. We, we mentioned earlier that uh, late in the week it got a little bit better. Um, there was some diciness on both days, despite two wins on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, Melanson tried to give it away on Wednesday. The bullpen really scuffled a little bit. Um, on Tuesday as well, but some uh, some intriguing stuff that's happening. And for me, my favorite part about either one of those games was Wednesday and putting up the five the five run inning when they were trailing two to one in the seventh to kind of put it away with six singles. Eric, yeah, just it was basically a throwback. No one does that anymore. Now it's all home runs and stuff. Especially this team, yeah, yeah. I mean, even yeah, this team and really the entire league. But a a, a full inning where they scored five runs and did not have an extra base hit. One walk and six singles equals five runs. That doesn't happen in 2019, so I really took some solace and some fun in that. Well, I mean, it helps when you have some of the fastest players in the league on your team, right? And so sure. it makes it makes things a little bit easier. I mean, the, the bullpen definitely had its struggles in the week. The thing that felt like a that got I think a lot of people really low is on Thursday and Friday when you give up a total of 18 runs. And, you know, and Julio just Man, got a knock. Julio, I must say, Julio was so bad on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. look, you know, and here's the thing. I understand, like, between Brad and I, we probably give Julio a lot of hard time. He's been so good lately. He just, yes. he's allowed he's allowed one of these. I, I feel I, mean? I feel bad because I gave him. I think I think it was last week. Scott and I gave him some pretty pretty big credit for the way he's pitched this year. I feel like I jinxed him a little bit because we had just been yeah, talking about how he had been pretty good, and then Thursday. It was uh, as bad as bad Julio can be on Thursday. You know, 11 base runners and six runs in one and a third innings is his kind of rock bottom. Credit to Josh Tomlin, by the way, for gutting yep. out five innings. And he wasn't necessarily spectacular, but uh, just kind of saving the rest of the bullpen for the rest of the week was very helpful on Thursday. Um, that game was not fun, though. No, it was it was it wasn't a fun game. Uh, they made it far more interesting than they should have. Yeah, the ninth uh, inning was a, was a something. About, by the way, in, in sharp in sharp contrast to the sixth single inning on Wednesday was the ninth on uh, on Thursday. Bombs. Yeah, they had a bunch of bunch of home runs. You know, Ronnie, Freddie, and and Donaldson all go yard, and you know it was it, it that was fun to kind of see them come back. It felt like you know they you know it 
this is one thing about this team that is absolutely true is that they're just never out of any game. And, you know, every at bat, you know, if they'll, they will take what they can get. And, you know, a lot of times it won't work out, but a lot of times, like, this is a team that's always looking to do damage, not looking to, you know, trying to get back on track tomorrow. Um, the 8 3 loss uh, to the Dodgers, um, my Canadian son was very good. Unfortunately, that's kind of where the good news ended for the pitching. And, you know, part of that's on the bullpen, part of that's on, you know, just. The Dodgers lineup is insane. Things can go like, and it just felt like that through the wins too. It just felt like at any given moment something terrible could happen. And, and, <laughs> and Sean, Sean Newcomb got to experience that firsthand. On Friday. He sure did. He sure did. You, you know, he found out what happened when you hang a, a ball in the middle of the zone to Max Muncie. Uh, as it turns out, along it goes a long way, uh, and that's just kind of what happens. You know, it's you know, you're going to go against a good team. They're just going to do that to you sometimes. And you know, Saturday and Sunday the bullpen was good to really good. Uh, I think they gave up. They gave up, gave up one run on Saturday, and they were lights out today. Yep. It's the the biggest takeaway from me this whole week, other than the fact that against one of the hottest teams in the league in the Mets and versus one of the absolute best teams in the Dodgers, you win both those series. But in particular, the Dodgers series, getting four runs off of Ryu makes you feel like that in a postseason series you at least have a chance because this is a guy that's probably I say probably he is the favorite for the Cy Young. He's been the, he's in, been unbelievable, really. And, and he doesn't give up runs. I think he'd given up like three total in his last 21 innings pitched, and the Braves put four up on him, with, including with like a like a two-run double and hitting some home runs. And like that's not stuff that he gives up. And if it feels like I, there's more optimism for me from this week than maybe I should have, it's that if you feel like you can put up runs on that guy, you have a chance against the Dodgers. And it's not it's not even the result of the of the, of the series because you didn't have to see Kershaw. You didn't have to see Bueller, who – Bueller hasn't been as good as I think people have been getting credit for this season. And Kershaw is not the same guy. But that game one starter is going to be Ryu, and he's the guy that you need to be able to feel like you can beat. And the Braves can and have beat him. So that if – for no other reason, he's – that that is the biggest takeaway is that if not only felt like you caught the Dodgers at a good time with like you know some lucky circumstance, but it felt like the team matched up well with some of their absolute best guys. Yeah, I mean, small wins, obviously, in terms of just taking stuff away, but that was a that was a big one, you know. Saturday, Ryu, Ryu, by the way, even after that outing, has a one point six four ERA after allowing four runs on Saturday. So that kind of tells you how good he's been to this he's point. Been, he's been really in good the season, and also winning that game with Fulty not being very good. Like Fulty wasn't a disaster; he he battled, <sighs> but one hundred and seven pitches in four and two thirds innings, he was not good, and still managed to win that game. So that was huge. I mean, the bullpen, as you referenced. Carried it with four and a half, four and a third inning is only one earned run. Newcomb looked good. Shane Green has now turned the corner. I hope he looked fantastic on Saturday, um, and that was good to see from him. And then Melanson back to back days. Um, you know, again. I, I do, go ahead. I, I do want to say one thing about the faulty like the pitch count. The same thing goes for kind of the the whole Dodgers series. I think this might be the worst umpiring crew in baseball. Man, that was it was the, really the, the, excruciating. The, yeah, the 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 strike zone was bad for both teams and in like wildly inconsistent ways. I mean, like there were a couple calls that made the, that made the national rounds like on Twitter and on like those highlight clip shows just to be like, wait, like strikes against Donaldson that were (laughs) yeah, like strikes against Donaldson that were in the opposing batter's box. Some Eric, some Eric Greg stuff. If you're old enough to remember 1997, that was uh, a lot of that. So I'm not willing to like, you know, like knock faulty too much because there was a lot going on in that game that like the, neither team had much control over. Um, and, you know, if I'm looking, I mean, Ryu was doing his best to take advantage of it. I mean, he was just throwing balls four out, you know, four inches off the plate and just getting strike calls. And then balls that were just like in the strike zone all of a sudden just became balls. And I'm just like, I don't even know what's a strike anymore. I'm glad bring you on, said that because it was, it was weird, man. It was weird yeah. to experience. Yeah, bring on the robot overlords. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> basic, I am basically in on a on an automated strike zone at this point because it seems like every series I'm just like, what are we doing? Yeah, I'm, uh, it's I'm glad you're that. Degrees, it's, it's varying degrees of bad. This one was particularly bad. For sure. And uh, it's just the enjoyment factor of the game really really declines, even when you uh, even when you win. And it's kind of just frustration as someone who enjoys baseball to not enjoy the product that way. It's not very much fun. All right, let's talk about Sunday a little bit. We'll save we'll save Ronnie for the end. Uh, the big the biggest swing. Um, I saw someone arguing as the biggest swing of the season. I'm not sure I would say that, but no. one of the biggest swings of the season from Rafael Ortega on Sunday, on Sunday with the Grand Slam. Um, his, by the way, before today, I guess I guess sort of including today, he had one home run in the major leagues in 359 plate appearances. One home run, 
359 plate appearances, and he hits a grand slam to essentially win the game on Sunday. That was something that happened today. Yeah, I actually called. I actually kind of called it happening, saying like I would enjoy an Ortega home run here. One thing I will say about Ortega is that he has been hitting for some power in AAA this year. I mean, yes. I'm sure. I'm sure a good chunk of this is the new Every, baseball. Everyone has. I was going to say yeah, everybody yeah. has. But yeah, yes. but you know, it's also the baseball they're using in the major leagues, and if a guy can hit it out in AAA, then he can probably hit it out in the majors. So it, it, it wasn't like a crazy surprise. It wasn't like a like a Rafael Belliard home run where like, you know, he had like gone like, you know, a decade and a half and, you know, finally got a hold of one. But it's, it, it was really nice to see a guy who, you know, has just performed in AAA. He, he, he hasn't been like all world or anything, but he's, he has hit all year. And when he got his chance, he made the most of it and actually made a difference for this team. You know, that's why you kind of sign those minor league free agents and put them in AAA is that when you really need somebody that they can come up and they might be able to do something. And he did, you know, it's, it, it I, I wouldn't call it the biggest. I feel like a lot of those walk-off wins are like the ones that you kind of look yeah, back I, on. You know I, what I mean, like I kind of agree like with you on that, but it was. I mean, just because of the, I guess the win probability added. I haven't looked at that like the actual numbers on it, but anytime you go from losing to winning on a grand slam, it feels big, and it was huge. I'm, I'm, and obviously, beating the Dodgers in the rubber match of a, of a series on oh, yeah, Sunday sure. when it sold out. I mean, I, I get all that. It was an awesome, awesome swing. I'm not downgrading it at all. It was. It was an awesome. Uh, moment for that individual uh, I don't I, honestly you know other than just seeing Gwinnett lineups going on I did not know a ton about Rafael Ortega until this week I had to, had to re- read a little bit about him um, obviously you've seen him a lot more than I have through the years just by watching other guys mostly but he's this is a 28 year old guy who has basically not been a prospect um, you know just to have him have the biggest swing of the day and win a game in the middle of the playoff race against the best team in the National League is awesome, man. I mean, it's that's one of those moments that I, I almost feel bad that the, the headline story still was Acuna, but because he did that, the headline, the big headline, got it got smaller, which I appreciated. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and it's just it was it kind of it made some weird circumstances not matter nearly as much, and it, it's kind of nice. the Dodgers are kind of famous for just like calling up random guys that no one's ever heard of and getting, and for kill, example, and killing the Braves with them. <laughs> no, killing the Braves or a lot of other people. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like. Chris Taylor famously kind of came out of nowhere and put up a 3-4 win season. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, who is this guy? And it's just they, they're one of those teams that's really good about finding value. So it's kind of nice to call up somebody that no one's ever heard of and then to do big damage in a big in a big spot. Uh, again, he's not going to hit like this forever, and he's not going to be, you know, he's not he's not going to steal anyone's starting spot. I don't think. I mean, I, now that I've said this out loud, he's just going to go on some historic tear. But I, I, mean, I saw, I'm, I'm I saw all, someone I'm tweeting all about that, that uh, during during the game after he did that to kind of predict the next Jose Constanza renaissance where uh, half the fan base will decide that he needs oh, to be playing Lord. every day. Um, that'd be incredible. Oh. If he had like a, a like a hot four-game stretch and people decide that he needs to be starting every day, it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. But we can save that one for next week. <laughs> um, other baseball stuff from this game, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but worth worth repeating now, Max Freed really gutted it out. Um, three runs in the first was... inning, and he was awesome after that, which is good. And by the way, uh, the bullpen was spotless you know four Ooh, innings excellent. four innings of scoreless baseball only one hit allowed no walks from Swarzak, martin green and melanson in that order and by the way when you make those tra- trades at the deadline you're supposed to be able to go to your bullpen seven eight nine with martin green and melanson and they slammed the door today against the best team in the national league so that's how you draw it up uh, again against that team not giving up any walks and just like no walks and, one and, hit. And, and, and like a bunch of soft contact it just felt like it the, like there's the adventures that are like, wow, that was some hard contact. I'm glad it was right at Ronnie or right at, you know, Freddie or whoever. And then there's also the ones where, you know, like they start giving up runs and you're like, wait a minute, is this five run lead really safe? This is that against that team where I felt anxious most of the, like most of the time. Cause you could, again, when you have guys like Bellinger, Seeger, Muncie, all these, all those guys, like any, something bad could happen at any given moment and like change the complexion of the game drastically. And it just never felt like those guys were comfortable against any of our relievers, uh, on Sunday and, you know, and s- Saturday too, for that matter, it was, it looked, it looked good. So, I mean, you, you, you want it, you want a series. I saw someone tweet that I can't remember who, so don't, um, please don't get, get mad at me for stealing somebody's tweet. I'm not, I meant to write that down who it was, but all that to say, the Braves won a series against the Dodgers where Freddie Freeman didn't, did not have a hit in the entire series. And oh, the that was Scott. Was it Scott? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, I hate Scott, so he can he can take he can take whatever. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but no hits in the series from Freddie Freeman, and the bullpen was lights out, and they go out and win against the Dodgers. Like again, a week ago, that was not something that was uh, really uh, something that I would would have considered to be a possibility or even 
a semi likelihood, and that that happened. Freddie, I mean, I'm not piling on Freddie. Freddie's going to be awesome, and he always is. But the fact that he didn't do anything at all in the series, and you still win two out of three, is and and by the way, it was like your starting pitching was incredible in the series. Like Free was, as we said, very good after the first inning, but overall he wasn't incredible. Fulty wasn't great, and you still won th- both those games with kind of so-so starting pitching. Man, uh, congratulations. It was just yeah, fun. Cool. Feels good. It does. And uh, we'll end on some more baseball talk. But now it's time to talk about Ronald Acuna. Um, Eric, I have to be honest with you. I didn't see the play live because I was not watching the game live. And this happened. I had to go back and do some research here. Um, But by now, everyone listening to this podcast undoubtedly knows that Ronald Acuna got pulled um, in the middle of a game today for not hustling. Um, Originally, I had on my notes, I have to say that it was, I have on my notes, quote, that it was weird that Snicker didn't take him out right away. He sent him back out in the field. But... Snicker, after the game, told the media that he did not want to risk Adam Duvall, wanted him to be able to get loose, and that's why Ronnie didn't come out right away. But Snicker said that the decision was made immediately by him to take out Acuna. Um, there was sort of a, a well-chronicled meeting of the minds in the in the hallway that um, was actually kind of being live-tweeted by the media because they were. It was like, all right, Snicker and Ronnie are in the hallway. What's, what's going on there? And obviously nobody could see that, but that happened, and then they came back out. Acuna came out. Um Everybody was positive after the game, which is worth noting. I know I think Demetrius wrote up a little story for us on the site about how mm. it ended up going pretty well. Um, Acuna was humbled by it. It felt like um, Snicker called him mature in the way he reacted. So no like overflowing big takeaway in terms of just like ugliness here, which is a good thing. I'm sure it helped that it, I'm sure it helped that they won the game. But you know, let's dissect this a little bit. What, what was your reaction? Were you uh, one of the hot take guys on one side or the other? Because I saw a lot of takes, which is kind of the way that these things are in 2019 on the internet. But where, where did you fall on the decision that Snicker made and uh, and the play and all that stuff? So my initial reaction was that I wouldn't have taken him out, but I am completely supportive that something needed to be said. I mean, when you hit a ball off the wall and you like you only get a single out of it, and then you end up getting caught stealing, you know, it it looks bad. It's either one of two things: either you were trying to admire a home run that wasn't a home run. Or you were trying to get a single so that you could steal another base so you can get your you can get number thirty and neither of those are things neither of those are things that you need to be doing so you know like a little bit of admiration of one where you really get a hold of one I can respect that I'm a, I'm look bat flips forever I'm all for it but you know you need to make sure you get it out <laughs> and you know and if it was him just trying to you know make sure that he could be on first so he could try to steal second you know that's that's not good for him either you want to get you want to you don't you want to be on second you know hit your double. And he's a guy that should have gotten a double on that play. So I, I was of the opinion that you don't take him out simply because he's he is such an important part of the team that and it is such a very important game, at least as important of a regular season game as you're probably going to get this time of year, that I would have kept him in, but I would have made sure he understood, like, w- within, like, earshot of the players that feel like that they need to, that that, that, that type of stuff needs to be corrected, that, you know, take him down the hallway, you know, ream him out and, you know, and then go about it. But I, I'm not outraged that they took him out either. You know what I mean? Like it's not the one thing that I will give Snicker absolute credit for is that he knows these guys and he knows kind of what they want and what they need. You know, he has a reputation as being kind of a player's manager and that goes both ways. Sometimes there's how you motivate guys and how you get them to do what needs to be done. And if he feels like that, you know, doing this with Ronnie and that he felt like he could do this without running to Ronnie without there being long-term repercussions, like regarding their relationship, regarding Ronnie's attitude, just in general, then I have no problems. And it seems like, I mean, everyone treated this like adults, like, you know, Snickers like, look, you have to run that out. And, you know, we're not going to tolerate that. We, we, we go all out here and he took him out of the game. I don't think he like, you know, embarrassed Ronnie. I don't think it was anything like that. It wasn't, it wasn't the, it was not the, this is of course the, the thing that everybody talks about was Bobby Cox and Andrew Jones a long, long time ago when Bobby, Bobby pulled Andrew in the middle of an inning and like really embarrassed him like on purpose. That wasn't yep. this necessarily. No. And I understand the similarities, obviously, you know, big time prospect, awesome player, um, old school manager. I, I get all the similarities. I get it's, a, it's, it's an outfielder. Same. I get all that stuff. Um, it wasn't exactly the same here because I think Bobby like, kind of went out of his way to embarrass Andrew and pulled him in the middle of an inning, which, just, which does not happen. That never happens. That didn't happen here. Um, but I get why people brought that up. But by, by the way, I wanted to read what Acuna said too, because a lot of people were focusing on what Snit said after the game. Acuna, this is uh, this is uh, this is Gabe Burns. Uh, shouts to Gabe, um, his um, his write up on the on this. I'm reading what Acuna said, and I'm quoting. 
I obviously wasn't thinking I respect Snit's decision. He's the manager. He just told me the reason it was happening is because I didn't run that one out. There's no excuse for it. So I took it I, I took it and just said, of course, he's the manager. I'm the player, and I ultimately respect his decision, end quote. So everyone, as you said, was was buttoned up after this. And you know, again, I'm, I'm glad they won. It probably made it a little bit easier for all parties to be in a better mood after yep. this game. Um, just for the record, I'm, I'm where you are on this. I would not have taken him out. Um, I did not have the sharp reaction that many people had and I, I get it this is one of those things that kind of divides people down the line I saw a lot of hot takes in both directions there was a lot of the old school um back the manager kind of blindly stuff that you know that you always see and then you saw a lot of the same thing on the other side and I'm with I'm closer to the uh I'm closer to the I would not have taken him outside that's kind of where I land on it but to agree with you it's not great radio to just agree on everything but I think we agree on this pretty much down the line <laughs> um you know, I wouldn't have taken him out. I'm not outraged that they did. I, I understand it. And uh, I think you made a good point about Snicker. Like, for all of the, you know, I think if you listen to this podcast long enough, you will know that we do not hes- hesitate to criticize Brian Snicker. I'm not um, someone who shies away from that. I will say, you know, particularly if you're a proponent of Snicker, but even, even if you're not, you know, his big thing that he is lauded for everywhere is his relationships in the clubhouse and the way he handles players. So I think benefit of the doubt goes a little bit in his direction on that because because of the fact that he that is his thing. Yep. That's that's his calling card. Everyone loves Snicker by all accounts. Um, so, you know, I, I tend to understand that a little bit more in this case because he has that rep and because of the way the team seemed to react to it. Again, I, I wouldn't have taken him out. I'm all for Sending him, I mean, I think sending a message is a good thing. There clearly had to be something said there. So going into the tunnel and presumably reaming him out is kind of where I would have left it as a perfect world. And we're not there. We're not. In the, we're not in the dugout. This is from the outside, so it's just me sort of projecting a little bit. I think right. reaming him and leaving him out there would have been where I landed. You know, I saw a lot of takes about you know how this is a big game. You don't want to make the team worse. I, I totally understand that too, and I think it felt even sharper about that because of the roster situation right now. They don't really have another center fielder, so it's like yeah, there's the, there's the, there's the, that there's, made it tough. That, that, so I get yeah, that too. I don't know. Like I I get the argument that the way he acted like he has an accountability to the other players in that roster. Yeah. But I feel like taking, yeah, you know, and that's completely reasonable, but taking him out and then punish, like there's a a certain amount of team worse in a very big game. And I I get that. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, like I, I I do get both sides of it. The one place that I had real issue is with a lot of the, I I hate to call them old school. Cause that doesn't, that implies something I don't mean. Like it's more like the folks who are just like, you know, you know that that young punk deserved what he got. He should have. Yeah, you, you know, you can't you can't do that. It's th- it's bad. You know, like you have to hustle in every play. There are like I understand that like Ender's been benched before, and you know the Andrew Jones last, example. Last, Ju- last July was the last time that at least that I found that Snicker pulled someone explicitly for hustle, and that was the uh, well chronicled Ender NCRT situation. That was about a year ago now, but Ender, um, by all accounts, was pulled for not hustling. That did happen about a year ago. Yeah, and. Like it, it certainly has happened, but there's been plenty of times this year where lesser players or different players didn't run out of ground ball or didn't hustle or, you know, didn't like whether it didn't take the extra base or wasn't really paying attention. And like there was not this like grand outrage or repercussions. Now, I understand the spot that where it came up in this particular game was very visible in a very high profile game. Yep. And maybe you feel like you have to do that, but let's not pretend that every time someone doesn't run down the line or doesn't hustle or doesn't take the extra base when they should have or whatever that, you know, there's like this, this discipline that comes down because <laughs> I, I like, it's just not true. It worked you know out. I mean? It was like kind of a perfect storm. Honestly, like I got, we got some questions. I think one of them on talking chop, like what happens if uh, Ronnie, if the same thing if the same thing happens and he doesn't run and doesn't get caught stealing, does he still get punished? I think yes, still. I, but, I think so too. But that made it a bigger deal. The fact that he was then thrown out trying to steal seconds later, you know, that made it go over worse. Let's just say, let's just say that that didn't go over well. Because no, then, because then it's the it's then then it's the easy narrative like oh he, all all they want to do is get another stolen base, which may or may not have been the case. Like you mentioned this earlier briefly, and I, we have no idea. I'm not, if, if there was something said about that, I missed it today. Because if he wasn't in pursuit of 40-40, I'm not sure if the conversation would be different. Because I think people just know that he, you know, wants to steal some bases right now. And it was a combination of, you know, obviously he should have been, he should have been at second base. And then when he wasn't, was it admiring or was it the fact that he wanted to get a stolen base or was it both? And, you know, all this stuff. I, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole, but that was, that was a part of the reaction too, I thought. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree with that. Look, I think that my what it boils down to me is that 
Ronnie did a dumb thing. Yep. There was a consequence for that. That consequence is debatable as to whether or not that's the consequence, but I have no problems that saying that he screwed up and there should have been one. And if that means benching him for this game, like, look, if they like suspended him for five games, this conversation between you and I is we very different. Kill, we, 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 we'd be killing that. Listen, if they suspended him for one game, I would be killing them. I think yes. as far as this could have possibly gone where I would have not come on this podcast and killed them was what happened today. Taking him out of the game, if he's not starting on Tuesday, uh, I will be bothered. Um Taking him out if of the that's game. That's the reason why. Now, yeah, like- that's what I mean. Like, if, if, if that's if it's disciplinary to like in the future, I will be bothered by that. You know, again, you and I both just said repeatedly that we would not have taken him out. I stand by that. I'm also just I'm not going to come on here and be really really mad that they took him out. Like I I, I didn't get there. Um, I lean towards leaving him in. I would have left him in, but you know there was some. Even Scott, like, look, Scott's the co-host on this podcast. Scott was bothered by it, and I'm okay with that. Like, it, it makes sense. I, I understand the takes on all sides, honestly. I just didn't have my back up about it. I didn't get really fired up about it either way, even if I would have left him in. Yeah, and I, I didn't think it was clear-cut, and I am, I think I'm with you in that, while, again, it's not the decision I would have made, I am willing to give Snitger the benefit of the doubt in terms of he is managing a player and his relationship with that player, and look – We've seen what happens when Ronnie gets a little bit angry and a little bit pissed off. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't you, you don't want to like completely embarrass him, but I'm sure that kind of I'm sure it ticked off Acuna a little bit. Um, I mean, you don't want to, but you don't listen. But, he's, a, he's a professional, like no professional athlete, regardless of age, um, background, talent level, any of that stuff, wants to be removed from a baseball game. Like at, at the bare minimum, even even but like he's just not obviously going to be happy about being taken out of the game. He handled it well. By all accounts, like yeah. publicly, from what there, we everyone, saw, there was nothing like bad about the way he handled it. But he clearly would not have been thrilled by it. Nobody would be. And and maybe look if Snicker goes, you know, maybe by doing this, you know, it, it keeps him focused and keeps him understanding what he's supposed to be doing. And you know, when Ronnie's a little bit ticked off, he tends to destroy baseballs, and I'm all for that. So you know, it's I I get it. And again, not the decision I would have made, but it's not something that like. You know, if you if you came listen to this, like oh, you know, talking chop's gonna go wild on you know on Snitberg Snitberg's decision. It's just sometimes guys need to get checked a little bit. Sometimes guys need to be refocused a little bit. I saw totally I saw different. a few tweets. Uh, I think people know that how we feel about Snicker, and they thought we were gonna blast Snicker. And listen, sorry. You know, we both stated our opinion. We were uh, not exactly a hundred percent pro Snicker here, but. This is not a situation where I'm going to kill him. In fact, I would kill him more for batting uh, for, for for batting Hetcheveria ahead of Matt Joyce, which I did earlier on this podcast. Um, but no, it's I didn't like that. One. It was not good. But listen, again, I, I said I said it before, really quickly. If you're gonna, don't be the guy who praises Snicker as a clubhouse figure and then criticizes him for this because this is part of the deal. Um, we you know we we kind of acknowledge. That, you know, I've said this repeatedly, I'll, I'll speak for me right now, I, I think some of his clubhouse stuff can be overrated, and I think the narrative gets a little bit out of control at times, but acknowledging that everyone around the team seems to think he's a brilliant clubhouse manager, this is part of the deal, man. Like, I, I wouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to kill him for it, because I think this is just what he's trying to do here. I, I do have questions about whether he, whether he would have handled every single player the same way. Like, if Freddie Freeman does this exact same thing, does, does, he, get, does he get pulled in the middle of a game, Eric? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Ooh. I'll be honest. I'll be, this is me guessing. Again, this is me guessing, guessing, guessing. I'm going to say no. And I don't love that. But that's, you know, if, if Ronald Acuna is 27 instead of 21. Yeah, see, that's the, I think that's more of the veteran thing. But I, I, that's something I hadn't really – like that that name in particular is the one name. Well, but honestly, though, but Freddie is, Freddie is the closest player to Ronald Acuna in terms of on-field impact. Ronald Acuna and Freddie Freeman are your two best players. And they are very close together in terms of what they do on the field. That's why I bring that up. I did have that thought. I, had, I feel like I should say it on the podcast. I'm not sure they would have handled that the same way for every. And it's not just Freddie, Josh Donaldson. Um, who's another player? You know, Ozzy's so young that it's like hard to say Ozzy. But like your best players, I'm not sure they all would have been handled the same way here, which I don't love. But I get well, that he's yeah. young. And I mean, like in Donaldson's case, I mean, like he doesn't hustle. Possibly, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. Well, he does. He, he doesn't hustle and. I'm not sure how much he can hustle. Either. Some, some people talked about this actually after the after that in the same game, and I kind of laughed. I think Chris Willis, um, um, our our boss, um, said on Twitter that somebody somebody I think Donaldson didn't run, didn't run out about later in the game, and people were tweeting about how he should be removed from the game. It's like uh, I get it. I get that that's it's kind of a weird situation, but Donaldson does not. He's not known for his hustle. We should say at this point in his career. Anyway, I thought. Of, 
I thought I, I, I said that for the very end, so if people logged off, they missed that little interesting hypothetical I, I tossed out there. But just think about that a little bit. W- would Freddie Freeman have been taken out of the game in the exact same situation? I'm, I'm going to say no, but I'm just guessing. I don't know yeah. that for a fact. Uh, it's, it's, God, I don't think he would either. I just, I just don't. I mean, we could be wrong here. And honestly, I, I do think it's more of a veteran versus young thing. I'm not, I'm not saying it's white-black. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I, I, I would hope, because the argument here is we want, we want to treat the, the whole roster the same, because if you're going to bench your either best or second-best player, the argument is that nobody is immune but I, I would have questions about what if, whether Freddie would be immune. Um, I th- I do think that a lesser player would have would have been benched in the same way as as Ronald. I, I just we've kind of seen that Freddie is kind of operating on his own. Like Freddie kind of overrules Snicker on like not having days off in the past, for instance. Like Freddie kind of operates on his own. <laughs> I'm not sure that would have applied. Just thinking out loud on that. That's all. Hmm. Oh, who, well, one more time. Last last name. Uh, he's not healthy right now. But Marcakis, I would ask the same question about. Just just saying. He would never tough. do that, I don't think. I think Snickers. Yeah, see like, that, 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 but, that. I mean, like, like he won't run particularly. Like he's not he's like not super fast, fast but, no. but he was. But you know, like he tried to take a double. Like you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'm or, just, I'm just, I'm just saying. I, I don't, yeah. I don't think they would have handled that the same way. But um, alas. Okay, Eric. Um, we've done enough to pour some gasoline on, even though we we were pretty measured, I think, on our on our takes there. I think so. Um, takeaways: Looking ahead to the future, back to the baseball field. The Braves uh, now have a five and a half game lead again, despite the fact that Washington's been pretty hot. Recently, uh, the two wins over the weekend really helped. It got a little bit dicey for a second. If they if they had been swept this weekend, which uh, would not have been terribly shocking given the way the games went. I know they won two out of three, but they pretty easily could not have won all all three of those games. Yeah, um, it, they'd be in some uh, I won't say trouble, but it would be a lot a lot more perilous right now. But as is five and a half game lead, about an eighty percent division chance according to all the metrics right now, and you know high nineties playoff odds. If they continue to play this way, the playoffs are. Uh, pretty safe feeling the division is not quite as safe obviously but um you know right now i'm looking at the league standings not not just the division standings the league overall standings the braves are let's see out of the wild card spot nine games ahead of the brewers for the wild card um yeah that's that seems pretty safe on uh august 18th it's not impossible they just go in the tank here but i think division is what we're focused on clearly and five and a half game lead despite the way the nationals are playing it's just good to really sort of stave off because I, I was prepared for the nationals to have a run and they've had they've had that run and they it's have a second run really they've gotten a little yeah. bit closer but they've not like with the way they played i'm sure they were hoping to be you know three games out and they're still five, and they're still five and a, still five and a half games out Hey, we have a magic number now. The magic number is thirty-three for the Nationals. You know? I mean, everyone said this, but like looking ahead, we'll we'll talk. We'll obviously talk about this more in the very near future. But um, it was it was a, a popular topic over the weekend before the Acuna thing, of course. Um, the stretch that's going to decide the season probably is September fifth through September nineteenth, when they play only the Nats and the Phillies for two straight weeks. Yeah, and I mean, like, I'll be honest, I'm not particularly really worried about the Phillies. They just seem super inconsistent. I'm not either, uh, but you know, I mean, they're still a talented baseball team. Like, I'm, I'm with you. I do think it's definitely it's, it, the Nats. The, the, the Phillies are nine games back. So unless yeah. the Phillies come out and just, you know, sweep the Braves twice in those two weeks, because they play, let's see, they play seven times. If the Phillies go six and one against you, then it might get a little dicey. But as long as they don't just blow you off the map, it's probably just the Nationals. Yeah, and I, I and I still feel like with this offense in particular, and and I mean like they have the starting pitching to kind of hold things down too. I mean not like in like a not in like in one of those dominant you know Houston Astros rotation sort of ways. It's just hard for me to envision a stretch like that for the Braves. I can see a two or three game losing streak. I don't see much more than that, and that makes that makes making up this lead significantly harder. I, I do think that. I know the top four has been incredible. Um, I think the lineup overall is not as scary. Like I'm not as confident in it as you are right now because the five through eight could get dicey in a hurry at the moment. But you know, as long as the top four guys are hitting at least three of those four at a time, like Freddie, of course, was cool over the weekend. But everybody else kind of hit. Um, you know, Ozzy's been great. Donaldson's been great. Ronnie's obviously been great all season long. Um, you know, there's some comfort in that. The bullpen. Man, cross your fingers. If the bullpen is just okay, just be okay. Like, that's kind of all it needs to be, honestly. If the bullpen is just okay, then the Braves are in great shape. If it's not, it gets dicier. Because the, the, the rotation, it, I wouldn't say it was a banner week for the rotation. 
Um, but you know, but they were they were they were fine. They were fine. Other than Julio, other than Julio, they were fine. And Julio, again, even with that start, Julio, you will take Julio's performance this season hundred out of a hundred times. Yep. Um, so, looking ahead, maybe not. I'm interested to see what Dallas Keuchel looks like on Tuesday against a bad Marlins team at home. If he doesn't look good in that start, I'll start to worry a little bit about Dallas Keuchel. I'll be honest. That's probably that's probably unfair, but um, he has not been particularly awesome. We should say he was he was good yeah, against the Mets this week. Yeah, last start was last start was good. He was he was good. So that 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 provides some optimism. Um, you know. Anyway, we can get down that rabbit hole another time. But you know, a big week coming up. Miami at home, uh, a game that you and I will both be at on Tuesday. Yep. And then uh, on the road to New York, followed by that ridiculous thing we talked about a million times in this podcast: the one game series in Colorado next Monday, which is insanity. Um, leave half yeah. the roster at home for the love of God. Um, before going back to Toronto, by the way, a uh, scheduling note, I probably cannot record next Sunday night. Um, cause I have, I'll be on an airplane. Um, and because of that one game series, that's an afternoon game. I think we're going to just plan to record Monday night next week. So not, we'll be one day late. Um, in part because of my travel in part because of that ridiculous one game series in Colorado. So just plan on that. If you're listening to this podcast, um, I just made that up on the fly, but I think I'm, I think I'm going to go with Monday night. Just to keep that in mind um, for your planning purposes. If you like to listen to podcast on Monday morning, my apologies. It'll probably be Tuesday morning next week. Um, any other takeaways, Eric, before we get out of here? I know we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered hot takes. We've covered pitching. We've covered injuries. We've covered performance on the field. We've covered the fact that the Nationals um, can't catch the Braves. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. Anything else? <laughs> uh, just that the, the, the schedule lightens up quite a bit. And, you know, it, the, the Braves have, like, performed really well against the really good teams and have gone, like, four and six against the Reds, the Marlins, and the Royals. Yeah, they're, it didn't really hit just... me until right now, too. You said that. I mean, until until they play the, the that, that, that stretch against, against the Nats and the Phillies, it's Miami, Mets, Colorado for one, Toronto for two, White Sox for four, which are at home. Yikes. Yeah. Um, sorry, no, three. Three at home. And then Toronto again. So, I mean, they're favored in every series in the next five. <laughs> we'll yeah, see how yeah, they go. Yep. And that, that, you feel pretty good about that. But, again, this is kind of one of those. The, it's baseball. The, you know, and the Braves have, you know, they have they have faltered a little bit against some of those lesser teams. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how this stretch goes. But I feel like that we might see the Braves maybe extending this lead a little bit by the end of that before we kind of get into the, you know, the, the really tough stretch. So if they take care of business over the next two weeks, we can pretty much wrap it up. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if you just go out and win, do what you're supposed to do against your games the next two weeks, you're probably going to be in great shape. And that's what you should do against the schedule. Now it's not a given, you know, going to New York, for instance, is the toughest, the toughest stretch on this schedule is the, this next weekend at the Mets. The Mets are not a bad baseball team. You got to face DeGrom, Wheeler and Mats. That could go poorly. That's not not saying it's gonna, but that's probably your tough, your toughest stretch. But you know, come out and win two out of three against the Marlins at home. Like that, that should be as easy as it gets on the schedule. Same with Chicago. You have, you have two home series against terrible baseball teams. In the next two weeks, just yeah. win. Win two out of three. You don't have to, you don't have to sweep them. Just go out and win games. It's fine. Sweeps are better. Sweeps are better. Uh, no argument here. In fact, I said, yeah. You know what? I won't. I won't tell you that the White Sox are terrible. I'll take that back. They're they're bad, but they're not the Marlins. So I thought they were worse than they are right now. They're not as bad as I thought they were, but they're bad. So they're pretty bad. Win that. Go out and win that. Um, win those three games, and you'll be. In good shape. All right, Eric. Well, thank you for joining me. As always, my friend, please plug no yourself. Please plug Road to Atlanta, which dropped a couple days ago that I enjoyed. I listened to that podcast. And anything else you got going on, man? Uh, I mean, you'll, you can find the podcast that I host on this stream along with Garav, Matt, and uh, intermittently Garrett now. He's coming back onto the show, too. Uh, Garrett, you can follow... Garrett. <laughs> it, was, it was good to have Garrett back on there. It wasn't. Uh, there was a decided lack of like weird technical catastrophes, which is pretty bizarre. <laughs> for, for Garrett. Every time Garrett was on the original iteration of, Pod, of Road to Atlanta, like his like microphone, headphones, and his computer would fail like at least once during the we've stream. All, we've all been there, to be honest. Well, most of the time it was his pets eating his equipment. So oh, it's, you know. Yeah, uh, but you know, and that's every Thursday. Every Thursday night, it usually posts. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. And if you want to follow yours truly to you know read a lot of minor league baseball stuff and some major league stuff too, uh, that's at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, in terms of what we're working on, you know, it's kind of the, the the season sort of winding down in the minor league side for us. So it's kind of you know getting through these last couple weeks. We've had some promotions. We've made thing, have made things interesting. But beyond that, it's just been kind of covering you know the teams as as things wind down and seeing who makes these September rosters. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, as I've always said, um, I get 
the lion's share of my information on minor league stuff from uh, both your podcast and our minor league recap stuff on the site. So please, uh, if you're like me, you want to learn about the, pro- the podcast, uh, sorry, about the prospects, listen to the pod, uh, subscribe to this feed on whichever podcast platform that you like, uh, whether it be Apple Podcasts, which is the one I use for all my podcasts, or Overcast, Spotify, I don't know, it's everywhere. We can, I'm sure you can find it. If, if not, please let me know. I will get that addressed and we'll get it added to whichever podcast platform that you prefer other than SoundCloud. We can't, we can't do SoundCloud. We, we used to be on SoundCloud, so that's kind of tough to get on there. But everything else, we could be there. So please tell us and we'll, we'll get that sorted out for you. Eric, thank you, my man. We will uh, talk very soon, I'm sure. In the meantime, Road to Atlanta, you know, fire yeah, I'll see. I'll, I'll see you in a couple days at the very least. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna converge on on Sundress Park on Tuesday night. I, I haven't been in a while, so that'd be fun. It's gonna be a good time. We should have a good time. All right, as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see everybody. Um, I think Monday night, so eight days from now. Stay tuned for that. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.